Welcome to the No Stones Show, where we talk about things no one wants to talk about. My name is Jamie, and I'm here with my co-host, Michelle. So how are you doing today, Michelle? Um, yeah, I'm doing pretty good. I'm feeling a little bit weird. Um, and you already know this, but the world might not. Uh, I found out some news yesterday, and I really don't know how to feel about it. Um, for about six months, I had a young man who was essentially stalking me on social media. Um, and, and a few times it was like, I was kind of worried, like, because he was sharing information he'd figured out about me and everything. And um, not that I hadn't returned the favor. I mean, I even knew where he lived. But I would never put that on social media. Um, but suddenly he just disappeared one day. And I'd been kind of, he made me so nervous that a few times I kind of worried, like, when he was going to pop back up. So um, I finally did just, like, Google search his name last night to see if he was on other social medias, see if he was talking about me there. And what I found, the first hit was his obituary. So he passed oh. away and no one knew. And so like, I was immediately very sad because no matter what, he was a young man, whatever happened in between us, because he was the animal rights activist and I'm a farmer. And he, I was just really sad. And it was, I think what is even more I found really sad and uh, you and I have already talked about this is while I was reading the obituary, he, um, it talked about his love of the vegan Twitter community in it and how he really loved it there and how he loved those people. And he talked about the amount of followers and his thing and, and uh, his, uh, you know, his bio and everything. And the vegan community hasn't even noticed he's gone. And oh. these were supposed to be his people. And it got me thinking like how many, when we go, who really notices we're gone? And who really cares? I always joke that people only show up to my funeral to make sure I'm dead. Yeah. Uh, but it's like, I, I feel really bad. Like, how sad is it that the first person to notice that you're gone on on the social media, on an area that you love, is the person that you probably hated the most. And I'm the one who's actually feeling bad and kind of shook by it. Whereas the people he he interacted with love like there's no like even hey what happened to so and so it's just they've moved on with their life having realizing this poor young man isn't even with us anymore yeah they don't and so it's left me feeling really weird i don't yeah. know how to process it there's so many mixed feelings between how he treated me but understanding kind of now where he came from so i'm just kind of weird yeah it's yeah, the hardest part, well, I'm not going to say the hardest part, but what really is sticking with me is, yeah, that nobody noticed. Yeah. Like, that his community, like social media community, seemed to mean so much to him, and he thought he had connections and friends, and he really didn't. Like, yeah. he, nobody's, no, nobody notices him. Nobody, yeah, that's, I, I'm struggling with this, <laughs> to be honest. Um, like you know, like I, I don't really feel bad for any of the reactions, any interactions we had, because sometimes I, I was a little bit mean, because he would just, he would pester me much and not leave me alone, and I was like, dude, you, you gotta drop this. It's been four or five months, but, and then now it's like these people, like he would interact with, like, you know, you if what you usually if like for one of us, if we notice someone hasn't been on for a few days, we we reach out. And it makes me sad. It reminds, like, me of, over and over. it reminds me of how I felt when somebody you and I both know and we didn't have good interactions with them died by suicide. Yeah. 
And as soon as we, I think we both had the same reaction of as soon as we heard the news, we were like, that's horrible. I know they were horrible to me, but it's still a horrible, like it's a horrible loss. And we noticed yeah. at the same time, how we felt the way we were being treated by that person is still valid. Mm -hmm. like, I still remember the day I found out that news. I was sitting on the couch in person for years when I heard because I mean this this was a real person and no matter the interaction they we had, you know, there there's loved ones left behind and it was tragic. Yeah. I cried too. <laughs> I think we cried together over the phone. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, all right. It's so hard. Life's oh, sorry. So how are you feeling after I brought down the mood? <laughs> hey, so for my my week, I'm gonna lighten the mood here. Yay! Um <laughs> my cat, I haven't spayed her yet, so she's in heat. And she <laughs> has been very vocal about wanting some loving. And she likes to be really loud at night. So one night I got irritated because I couldn't sleep and I put her in the basement so I couldn't hear her. I don't know how long it took me for no to notice that she wasn't around the house anymore. But I forgot her in the basement for at least 24 hours, probably longer. And when I went down to look, I went down to the basement three times to look and I could not find her. There was no noise, there was no sign of her. I turned the basement upside down. The third time she let out this teeny tiny So I could kind of like triangulate her into the corner and she would not come to me. And so I tried to apologize to my cat and now she has a very haunted look in her eye. <laughs> I think she broke my cat. <laughs> Oh, poor kitty. You know, like, so we all I've watched, like, someone actually gets locked from the basement. <laughs> and there's some cat now, like, I saw a ghost. <laughs> like, she looks like, <laughs> she looks like she, like, lived through American Horror Story or something now. <laughs> <laughs> poor I'm kitty. Not I'm not safe in my house. <laughs> Oh. I worked at a cat colony in college where it was in nutritional research and so it was shower in, shower out and everything was clean and cut those thousands of care and we, you know, our job was to clean up after them and pet them and you know, give them some social interaction but oh, and they'd all go in the heat at the same time you know, no. the cats are just like humans they, and there's nothing like walking in and 200 cats going and like doing that oh. thing where you know they like, turn their butt you and like you know their feet and like all of them are doing it at the same time. <laughs> it's like a yeah. horror movie. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the boy, the boyfriend was worse. Like if they were like could smell it, they would be going like I like they, they could like pee at you like an emit or one time like yep. having the duck. Oh my god! Yeah, there's some great memories in that place. <laughs> Oh my god. Poor kitty. I wonder if she probably like saw a ghost of your old cat. They're like, oh, she's, 
<laughs> oh my god. We this have, is like, the torture chamber. We have a little, like, I have a little creepy area. Like, there used to be a cistern, like, under the house. So there's, like, a hole in the wall. And I thought maybe she got, like, stuck in there. So I had to crawl through this teeny hole in the basement wall. And it's gross and no light. And then there is the cistern because it's beside it. So you have to, like, climb up. And there's, like, just a hole in the basement that you cannot get in and out of. <laughs> My God, <laughs> Buffalo Bill. <laughs> basement. <laughs> So maybe there are like <laughs> poor women who were stuck in there and had to uh, donate their skin to Buffalo Bill's skin suit. <laughs> maybe she saw that. Oh, yeah, that's okay. Well, I'm creeped out now. So you want to share? <laughs> so what's your stone for this week? Oh, I think my stone is like I can hold a grudge. Um. <laughs> Yeah. You know, it's like it takes a lot. Like, first off, like it takes a lot to get into my life, a little bit. So once I let you in, like if you do me dirty, like I do not forgive. And so there is a person, and so um, on social media a few years ago, they they really did bad to me. It's not like I really loved them in their life, my life, but like they still did bad to me. And they recently come back, and it's. At first, it was like they expected me to forgive them, and I was like, yeah, not really, but I'll hold you at a distance. But lately, like, it's just been a repeat of the same behaviors and, and attitudes, and yesterday kind of blew up, too, and I found out about that young man, so I was like, yeah, eh, I'm done. <laughs> so, not even going to give them the attention they want, so, but, you know, I think about my whole life, like, you know, I I ran into a girl five years after high school that was really, really awful to me in high school. And she's like, well, why don't you want to talk to me? I'm like, don't you remember how you treated me? <laughs> so. Yes. Oh, I relate to that so much. I got told, like, so anytime I put up, like, a boundary, like, if somebody treated me like shit in high school, like, I had friends that, yeah. you know, were really, really good friends. And then something happened and they, like, bounced into, like, the popular group. And so I wasn't worthy of their attention anymore and then like four months later they'll just like come right up to me and be like you used to be nice why are you such a bitch to me now well <laughs> i'm just not into uh, that right with you I'm anymore <laughs> <laughs> i'm sorry i'm still supposed to be nice to you even though you're horrible to me exactly okay. like why why is it on me and then i would feel guilty i'd be like oh yeah i am being a bitch i should forgive them i should put aside all the things that they made me feel because they say they're okay. No, my feelings are valid, man. If you made me right. feel like shit, why do I have to be the one to fix my behavior? <laughs> well, what's funny is some of the things are being said to me by this person and their friend yesterday, like they were like, negative. And I said, am I, am I? And they're like, no, I'm being gaslighted here. Yes. I mean, I'm not, I don't like the Dixie Chicks, but, like, that song is perfect. <laughs> yes, and, but then if you say you're being gaslighted, it makes you sound like a whiny victim or an asshole. Yeah. Like, it's, there's no win. So, yeah, block and, no win. block and move on, I guess. Yeah. Exactly. So, what is your stone this week? 
So I was, I'm a nerd, so I like watching documentaries for fun. Um, and I was watching a documentary, and I think, I don't know what the job title is. I don't know if he was a linguist or like a vocal coach. But anyway, he was talking about speaking speech patterns. And one of them mm -hmm. was uh, vocal fry. And I realized my natural speaking voice has vocal fry, which means you can hear, like I got that little vibration in my voice. And it's, it's oh, yeah. people with vocal fry, you can just hear their vocal cords vibrating more than other people. And it's just like, it's a natural form of speech. And then he said something that blew my mind, or he did an example. He spoke, um, I think it was, he read from the Declaration of Independence himself with vocal fry. And then he got a student of his to read, a female student to read the same section with vocal fry. And when he did it, he sounded authoritative and sure. And he, like, there's a lot of actors that can do that. Like I'm thinking Paul Giamatti has really big vocal fry and he always plays like positions of authority. And that's, people believe that, even though he has that vibration in his voice. I think Sam Elliott probably does it too. And these are people oh, that definitely. We, think, we think, oh, you guys, those have powerful, strong voices and they can convey authority with this vocal fry. But when women do it, think Lena Dunham, uh, Kim Kardashian. When we have the vibration in our voices, we sound unsure and nervous. Mm -hmm. and it's so, funny, and I don't think you sound unsure and nervous. I think I get, you sound very confident and authoritative, but I think it's because you're a woman. And you're and a woman. those traits, <laughs> historically, are not considered good. It's kind of like me yesterday being told, you need me to be positive all the time. No, I don't. I'm going to tell you how I fucking feel one of the way I fucking feel it. And if I'm going to feel in a shitty mood for a few days, there's going to be a few days that you're going to hear pretty shitty thoughts. Yeah, and I don't need to change my behavior around it. But, like, I know it's true. Like, I, like why do I need to have to learn how to speak with more authority or clearer or project more? Or, like, alter my voice to make myself sound like I know what I'm talking about and confident. When a man like Sam Elliott and Paul Giamatti get to use their regular voice for the same thing, like why do I need to spend time and energy masking my natural voice? And it irritates me and I'm pissed off. <laughs> also like the conversation on the science side of Twitter all week uh, because there was some faux study done where some like researchers made fake profiles and set parameters of what is professional and what's not oh, and started that. stalking and then uh, a lot of people like are focused on well they found there's no difference between male and females i'm like no it's not about the results it's about the methodology it was bullshit designed uh to just basically stalk and harass people and like how this even got published but yeah like <clears throat> And it's been the discussion all week is like, and there are women coming forward like, no, you need to do something different. Otherwise, you can't. Yes. Like, honestly, women <laughs> tell me I need to change my voice. Like, this is not like, no. men only. Like, this is women doing it to me, too. <laughs> There's, so this one woman posted in front of a truck, like, for her picture for a speech at University of Alberta. She was wearing a yellow turtleneck and jeans. She looked very pretty. 
And this woman's like, no, that's inappropriate. You're trying to look sexy like a model. And we need to make sure that we uphold ourselves in the highest authority. And I'm looking at her and she looked like your typical, no offense to Mormons, your typical Mormon girl, like very plain hair, short, brown glasses. (laughs) And she was being very prissy. And I just want to say, are you wearing a long denim skirt too? (laughs) Because that's code word sister yeah. and I have for like you know like you are an uptight woman you're wearing a long denim skirt <laughs> yeah I'm gonna so one of our topics today I'm gonna go into it in a little more detail so I'll stop right okay, now well, <laughs> oh yeah we're like just getting on chatting yeah so um do, 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 what should we do next yeah should we get to our first uh, anonymous submission you were going to ask the people how they were doing. And, oh, and yes. People. Sorry. People. I'm trying to interact more with people. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. It's Listeners, we appreciate you. We do want to talk to you. We do want to hear from you. So uh, I want to know how you guys are doing today. So you can go find us on uh, Twitter or Instagram. And, or email us at nostonesshow at gmail.com and just let us know how you doing today. If anything fun happened this week, if anything weird happened this week, let's just, uh, let's just start talking about stuff. So how you yeah. doing? And on that note, here comes the first anonymous submission. And I am reading it. <laughs> so this submission says... Um, As an ag professional, there is no way the world gets to know I struggle with depression. I can support the cause, but to share that detail about myself to the world will end poorly. Farmers will eat their own, but avoid that in a supplier like they are toxic. The stigma is real. I've seen that so many times, and I know um, uh, not producers, but those that provide services to producers who are very very afraid of people finding out things about them um whether it's depression alternative lifestyles uh past abuse we've really done a good job for farmers and ranchers uh improving mental health and reaching out and um reducing the stigma but i really feel that we've not really spread that on to agriculture like everyone else because let's face it the producers are a very small segment of agriculture and they're not even the most important i know we love to think we are but we all are important with each other because none of us can operate without the other and so it's why like, some people like have this thing like no, no we're not we need to help everybody and if you know of a person who's maybe your seed salesman and you know they're going through a tough time, you should support them as you would do your friend or your fellow farmer, you know, who's struggling with the bad year and all the trade wars going on. And because they're struggling too. These people who are helping you out, man, they're worried straight to the banker. The banker doesn't want you to fail either. And everything's affecting them. And I, I really think that the next step um, is moving on is okay. Now, let's help people who help us. It's, it's a hard topic, and I'm glad we're moving forward, but I, I, I'm, t- I'm frustrated with the sales pace it's moving. I agree. 
So I mean, my reaction to this <clears throat> immediately kind of made me sad and angry. Um, I want to tell this person that it's okay to talk about that, that they can be open about their struggles, but I know that's a lie. And like you just, you cannot open up about something like that and feel safe in today's environment. There's a real disconnect I find between telling people to talk about mental illness and open up and mental health and stress and all that and actually allowing them to talk about it. You can't say, talk to somebody if you're struggling, um, put up memes, give up words of encouragement, do all of those things, and but mean by somebody, I mean not me. I don't wanna hear it. That's too negative. That's too sad. That's too depressing. You're gonna trigger other people, whatever excuses. You can't do those things and call yourself a supporter of mental health. You have to actively support it. It's just performative otherwise. Because if you're posting things um, like how much, it, how much it means to talk and support farmers, but then you yourself go make fun of somebody who's talking about it on Twitter or we can all see it like that totally shuts down conversation. For example, I'm going to use an example. So maybe people will understand this a little better. So if I have a uh, physical illness, say I have cancer, and I tweet about my struggles with having cancer. And one day I post to Twitter, feel like shit, I can't get out of bed today. Now imagine seeing that post. And imagine how you would feel about that person in that post what would you reply to them and imagine scrolling through the replies to that post and what do you think the majority of the replies in that post would be likely they're going to be positive there's like there's going to be an overwhelming majority of positive and supportive comments of you got this i understand you're struggling you need to rest take care of yourself all of those type of comments now let's switch it up Let's say Steve has depression and he tweets all the time about being sad. And he tweets about his experiences with depression. And one day he posts, feel like shit and get out of bed. Now, how do you feel about Steve's post? Do you feel different than the one about cancer? And if you, like imagine scrolling through that feed under that post that he put, do you think those replies are going to be overwhelmingly positive or do you think a lot of them are going to be you're lazy get out of bed go for a walk exercise imagine those replies because we know they happen to people who are suffering from mental illness like we know people oh, yeah. get called lazy we know we're told to smile think positive uh go for a walk everybody doles out that advice now if I went to that cancer patient and I said, you just need to think positively and go for a walk. I am going to sound like a complete asshole. Because <laughs> mm -hmm. I know cancer and dealing with cancer and treatment is debilitating. So me asking somebody who's debilitated by their disease and suffering, 
I tell them they're fucking lazy and go for a walk, they'll feel better. Like that's ridiculous. That's insulting. That's totally diminishing their illness. But we will do that to people with mental illnesses all the time. Like if I post, I'm struggling today, I'm going to get a reply. Stop being so negative. Nobody wants to see this on Twitter. Twitter's supposed to be fun, blah, blah, blah. And so that's what I mean by we're not allowed to talk about it yet. Yes, we're, yes, there's open support of the idea that we need to talk about it, but the actual support is not there yet. Like we need to shift a cultural norm. We need to think of suffering from mental illness, which is debilitating and chronic, is no different than suffering from cancer. Like there should be no your empathy shouldn't change for the person. Your compassion shouldn't change for the person. Your manners shouldn't change. They're both chronic illnesses. I'm going to get threats for this, and I'm willing to take it. But in my experience, egg as a whole is about 10 years behind the rest of the world. And so when people tell, when I see people in egg saying, we've done so much, we've moved so forward, you know, people are free to talk about it. What you're seeing is the outside world. So the outside world is 10 years ahead of where egg is. So yes, there are people openly talking about it in the outside world because there are enough people there that support that type of conversation. In egg, that's not the reality. Like you, if you talk to people in agriculture who are suffering from mental illness, they will tell you stigma is still very alive and well. And sometimes it comes down to you will put your life on the line if you talk about it. You can lose your job. You can lose customers. You can have, <clears throat> you can attract a bunch of hate on your social media, like negative stuff just gets piled onto you mm -hmm. and the way to stop that is people need to first educate themselves on what mental illness is and what it feels like and what the symptoms are and what the treatments are and how successful the treatments are and two you need to listen to people with mental illnesses when we talk about them because some guy who's never been depressed in his, a day in his life, can't speak to the experience of having depression. So talk to the people who actually act. So when I was reading this, um, I wanted to say, speaking out about your mental health um, or mental illness is brave right now, and it shouldn't be, but it is. And I, on the first episode, I flat out came out and my stone was, I have general anxiety, I have social anxiety, depression, and PTSD. Now I said that on the first episode because I had a huge fear of saying that out, of saying that. Well, my fear was actually that if I didn't say it that first episode, somebody was going to expose me with air quotes and weaponize my mental illness against me to like undermine my authority, undermine my uh, character, undermine my voice expertise. And so I was concerned I was gonna get burned by somebody you know, discovering this about me. 
And so that was my motivation. I didn't, you know, I wasn't being brave. I was protecting myself, essentially, is my mindset. And after that first episode, I got an email that said, as someone who went through a very dark time last year and is still coming to terms with it all, thank you for being so honest at the start. And I was like, like, I, I told you about my mental illness, like as a self-serving purpose, like a protection, because mm -hmm. I didn't want it to bite me in the ass later. And it dawned on me when I read this anonymous submission that that was actually seen as brave. I don't think it was brave. It's just, mm -hmm. it's me. But other people will see it as brave because we all know if you're open, if somebody's open about a struggle, you're going to face a lot of backlash and you're going to face negativity. And to, do, to constantly face that backlash and negativity and come out of it okay is friggin' hard. Yeah. And so, and I mean, you don't have to go to school to learn about mental illness. You don't have to buy books. You don't have to take a course. There's mental resources everywhere. I mean, the easiest way is sprinkle some people into your social media that are respected experts in the field or people with mental illnesses talk openly about it. Because then every day you're just going to learn a little tidbit more and in a fun way. Like, for example, um, when I joined TikTok, I followed an account called Schizophrenic Hippie. And it's a man who has schizophrenia and he had, he was in prison for a while. So he has the stigma of being an ex convict also, but he can explain his symptoms of schizophrenia so well with audio and um, visuals. And I've learned far more in a couple of months of following him in his little one minute videos than I ever did in all my education about schizophrenia. So just find, people you can learn from and just put them into your social media your every day it doesn't have to be a big lifestyle change I'm always shocked in like the corners you can find on tiktok mm -hmm. like that are so positive and can really help you I, I never thought like this stupid little app that my daughter used to dance on called musically five years ago would like turn into this great social experiment where it's really opened up doors to viewing cultures you'd never really get to be exposed mm -hmm. to before and also just individual lives and people and what's going on mm -hmm. and so it's it I, I have to recommend following it I mean I love, I love it like I never thought I'd get addicted to it but I'll oh, yeah. spend a half hour I thought yeah I thought TikTok was the most ridiculous thing ever and didn't want to get it and then I mean in the beginning there was a ton of like really funny videos but as I started following people I started getting uh, so much good content, like so much. Mm -hmm. it, I mean, it's entertaining, but it just, it's changing my mind. I'm learning so much new stuff. And I mean, it's, it's progressing myself and increasing my understanding of other people through entertainment. I mean, how hard is that? <laughs> yeah. Do you want to go to our second story? Okay, so... And this was another submission that we originally received back in May when we first uh, started exploring the idea of doing this podcast. So thank you to who shared this. Um, so I was in a polyamorous relationship with BDSM elements for nine years. I was monogamous, but he had other girlfriends. 
None of some of his partners I knew of and others I didn't. I thought it was the only way to keep him, although the lifestyle was really painful 80% of the time, especially because I'm Christian. I held on for the 20% of normalcy I had because I didn't think I could do better. Yeah. I should probably explain to polyamory because when I once oh, yeah. mentioned it on Twitter and I got like, what is that? So I feel like you could probably explain it better. <laughs> <laughs> oh God. Oh, on the spot pressure. <laughs> so a polyamorous relationship is, so we have monogamous relationships. So mono, one the monogamous is a relationship just between two people. So usually we see marriage as a monogamous relationship. Polyamorous means you have multiple partners. And I mean, we don't, it doesn't mean you have multiple sex partners necessarily. You just have multiple partners in your life. Um, and then like you have the same, like an intimate relationship with them. Uh, some people do very well in polyamorous um, relationships because maybe they can't get everything they need from one specific person, so they can they can kind of create a full um, experience, a full life with other people, other consenting people. <laughs> consenting, not like something you watch on a YouTube video. Yes, it has to be consenting. So it's just, it's a diff essentially a different lifestyle. And it's not immoral. It's not wrong. It's not bad because it is between consenting adults. And the key is all the adults in the polyamorous relationship consent. Does that make sense? Yeah. It's like the Oneida Society back in the 1800s. And if you, Oneida sounds familiar to you, it's because they still make knives and it was the society who started them. And they were a polyamorous society back in the Victorian times where you were not, uh, everyone was married, all the males were married to all the females and you got to choose it every night and they were all consenting. Yep, so not, not dirty, not dirty, <laughs> not. <laughs> I mean, there was polyamorous rela relationships in the Bible. Come on, people. Yeah, <laughs> and they weren't dirty then. They were that was just the way it was. Um, so my response to this uh, submission is a little spicy. So um, I'm gonna put on my dominatrix hat for a second. So everybody needs to uh, brace themselves, get ready. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm gonna explain uh, a BDSM relationship. So BDSM means, uh, what is it? Bondage, dominant, submissive, masochist? No, I'm gonna, I'm gonna look it up to make sure that I'm right because yeah, I don't I'm want to. look to. it up. And whoever's reading my like, the government tracking me is good. Yeah. <laughs> of course, ah, there we go. B okay, I'm gonna explain what BDSM stands for. So it stands for role playing, that involves bondage, discipline, dominance, and submission. Like the dominant submissive, one person is, holds power, I'm gonna use air quotes, over somebody else. And so reading this submission and the way she wrote it, I wanna talk to the man that was in the relationship. So he obviously uh, identified himself as a dom 
and it should be for both their pleasure. But this guy is not a real dom. If you're a real dom, you have to realize you are working with the other person with active consent. Your submissive has all the power because they can take away consent at any time and you respect it and you stop immediately. So if you haven't asked your partner's soft limits, so those are the, I don't know if I like it, but let's just gently move forward to hard limits, which is don't ever do that to me or don't ever put me in a position, don't ask me to do that, don't put me in that position. You have to respect those, you have to learn them, maybe even write them down in a contract and respect those. And as a dominant, you are required to give your submissive proper aftercare. So whatever you did in your session, you need to return them to a safe, comfortable, empowered place before you're done. You don't just get to break somebody for your personal enjoyment and just leave them. They are not your toy, they are a person. So this man does not sound like he got active consent from this woman. It sounded like her wants were not listened to. She felt like he got choose everything. And that is not a dom. That is not a dom. That is a toxic, abusive asshole who is using BDSM to legitimize his shitty behavior, period. Mm -hmm. So I, I know I talked about active consent. So I'm just gonna, I'm going to explain what I mean by active consent. So people asking for consent gets a really bad rap because people think it needs to be like this, almost like completely serious legal transaction. And it's like you approach a woman and you ask that woman, do you consent to have sex with me? And the woman says, yes. And then they have sex and that is consent. <laughs> doesn't have to be like that. It can be sexy. It can be fun. So here's my guide to active consent. Number one is the person you're going after or interested in, in a state of mind where they can make an important life decision. If your answer is no, they aren't able to give consent, period. So if somebody's sloppy drunk, you wouldn't ask them to drive your favorite car. So <clears throat> don't ask them for their consent. They aren't. <laughs> they are not in the right state of mind to do that. So next, you can ask the person if they want to do something. For example, hey baby, you want to take this upstairs? If her reply is anything other than, oh yeah, you definite. It's not consent. A playful no is not consent. I know we're taught that women are supposed to say no, 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 and the men are supposed to keep pursuing and like the 20th no is actually a yes. It's wrong, fuck it, stop it. A, some, a lot of people are trained to say a playful no or say maybe or say not flat out say no because of their life experience and their culture. Sometimes, um, like for me, for example, if a man is 
uh, like approaching me and I and he's making me really uncomfortable. If I say, sir, you need to leave me alone. I know from experience that can turn really bad for me. I mean, to the point of violence. Mm -hmm. So I have learned to brush off advances, to brush off being uncomfortable around men, to make them feel okay because I know I can be met with rage, violence, um, I can ruin my reputation, all sorts of things. So I will always reply in a like more of a playful way like it's not going to be it's not going to sound serious to you but i do mean no this is just how i was conditioned and it's just my life experience and i sometimes i'm afraid to just say a flat out strong no so we need to shift our idea about consent that consent is a strong enthusiastic yes for example before you take somebody's shirt off, can I take that off for you? And when she says, yes, please now, or takes her shirt off, green light, good to go, until you're the next intersection. So no accidentally slipping it in. Ask, do you want me to do this? Then respect the answer. I have yet to encounter a man in my life who has reacted to, oh baby, put it in i want it all negatively like, mm -hmm. consent can be sexy so we need to shift our like our the way we run our relationships and to the writer you do deserve better your voice was not heard or supported in that relationship you did not have active consent if he was doing things that made you uncomfortable or painful that you did not enjoy or consent that was not consent your voice needs to be heard as an equal to his not and not second to his his needs were always before yours and that is a shitty power dynamic that was packaged as bdsm if he was a true dominant you would have felt like a goddess because a skilled dom would have make you would have made you feel empowered and cared for regardless of what they did in a session that's my lecture on being a dominant <laughs> and i think you kind of address what i want to say but i want to say it a little bit different way and what i understand about polyamorous relationships and and i think it's like from what i understand of the swinger community and i'm not sure like if swingers and polyamorous is considered the same or a little bit different and um i'm not a swinger so don't anyone sometimes like oh michelle's a swinger yay no but i i have like done a little bit of research into the lifestyle and i've watched a few documentaries and watched a tv show about 10 years ago on it and it's from what i understand is like um if you're in a relationship like that the partner's supposed to know about everything and have everything cleared through them and so if this person didn't know about partners or they were just being kind of sprung on them. That was definitely, this was a person who was looking to get some extra on the side and they were like trying to claim it's, Oh, we're polyamorous. No, then the, then she would have had, she would have had inputs and should have been aware of every single thing and given the opportunity herself to have other relations herself. Cause it really sounds like to me, this person was controlling 
she had to stay uh, monogamous, but he didn't. And that, I mean, that, to me, that's just a giant red flag. And again, everything's about consent. You know, whatever a consenting adult does, I, you know, not going to judge lots of lifestyles. And I, and I could see how it was hard to align that with their Christian upbringing. Um, because, you know, for those of us who grew up Christian, you find your spouse and that's supposed to be your forever partner. But the reality is, I mean, uh, do, do us divorcees count as polyamorous? <laughs> Serial Probably. monogamy? <laughs> Probably. Maybe that's why it's so bad yeah, to be I mean, divorced. Yeah. I mean, so, you know, I, and I understand that it could really be hard, like, to, to rectify that lifestyle with, with your religious uh, beliefs. And I, I don't think God is going to hold it against you. You know, the God I believe in, uh, it's like that country song, when the heaven I'm going to is me full of thieves and prostitutes. Oh. It's uh, <laughs> no one God loves and he's going to, I don't believe in the vengeful God that the people knocking on my door tell me about. So it's, uh, I hope they find they have healing for all of these. So for our, we're going to do something different here for last story. Um, this is a crossover with your other podcast, the uh, no shit show. And on that show, you guys discuss uh, social media posts. So what do you have for us today? So uh, I think we're going to discuss the one that I received yesterday that I actually alluded to at the beginning of the podcast. It was kind of like how we are, how people treat you. And so um, yesterday or two days ago, I tweeted my frustration with how teachers are paid and the idea that teachers are paid to do nothing during the summer. Well, the reality is we are paid per diem, which means per day. Yes. Sorry if I'm being very layman here. And then it gets divided over the year. So the work I do in December, I might, a little bit of the money for I'm given in July to help me get through the summer months. It's not that I'm getting paid to sit around and, you know, buy my little blow up pool and drink my ties. That's money I earn. And you know, there's always a lot of debate where if teachers are paid enough or not, you know, it really depends on the community. But if you look at most communities, if you compare the educational level that a teacher requires to get the job, Compare it to other jobs in the area that require the same amount of education. Yes, go ahead and subtract off 20% because we don't work 20%. We are still vastly underpaid compared to our peers with similar education levels. And, um, but we, we work for children. We're not supposed to complain. We're just supposed to be happy with it and never say anything. So I, I said I was frustrated because there are large school districts that, that requires teachers to withhold those monies. And I'm talking about, these are the districts that have hundreds of thousands of teachers because in the three, nine months they're holding your money, they make a lot of interest. And it's a money maker for the school district. We forget that everyone goes, oh, schools are not a business. And, you know, that's why they fail. But you know, every school district has a CBO. I think that's their title. And it is run like a business. So they found a way to make some extra money. And... It's not that I'm necessarily against that, but I'm tired of the perception that we get paid for nothing. And then I'm also tired of like being expected to be thankful for it. No, that's my money. I earned it and I'm professional. I shouldn't be begging for my money. So I basically had a tweet this frustration. So I received this feedback. I said, this tweet is bad. I followed you a long time ago because you were funny and uplifting. 
Lately, it's all about arguments. I'm an ex-school board chair. Most don't keep money from teachers. Most give all they can and really make interest. Start being positive. And then it, his friend added in about how I'm just a keyboard smasher. And I talk, talk tough, talk tough behind a screen. Little, you know, my dad and both my husbands and most men in my life, both my husbands would say I'm mouthier in person. <laughs> but here's my experience. And I've worked in a variety of school districts in a few states. And I am being told by a person who has limited experience in a small town in a mountain state that I am wrong because their experience, not as a teacher, but as a school board member, tells them different. And, and then being told that I need to be more positive. And I just, uh, I don't think they've really followed me that long. <laughs> I'm gonna let you go before I say anything more. <laughs> Yeah, your tweet didn't surprise me at all. Yeah, <laughs> and I have it. not changed how I did it for years. Like I have no. a tone, and it, I actually limit my tone a little bit on Twitter. Yeah, because <laughs> <laughs> I know knew, potentially... <laughs> if people knew what we said, unfiltered. Um, yeah, we have. Yeah. Oh, this is kind of what we talked about at the beginning about the um, telling people to be positive and like giving other people unsolicited advice. So, so I was reading a book a few weeks ago by an author called Tom Albrighton. And he has a word, um, he has a section called a word on social media. And it really clicked with me. So if you forgive my long winded reading, I'm going to read like four paragraphs, just so everybody else can get where I'm coming from can share a resource um, so he wrote personally I find social media makes a good mood better but a bad one worse if you're feeling upbeat and you put that out into the world you'll get more positivity in return but if you're feeling sad anxious or insecure and you go online hoping for a pick-me-up you may be may be disappointed the problem is that when you look at other people's content through a low mood it's easy to lapse into compare and despair Sentiments that bring inspiration to others bring desperation to you. If others are go-getting, you feel lazy. If others are sharing wonderful creative work, you feel dull and pedestrian. If others are being upbeat and engaged, you feel alienated. The lesson is not to compare your lows with other people's highs. Remember that the version of themselves people put out online is edited. Sometimes. <laughs> Sometimes we speak freely. Um, partial and possibly straight out fantasy. Their real life is what happens when they're away from the screen and it's probably not so different from yours. Sometimes we treat social media like an emotional lottery, gambling time and attention in the hope of a big payoff. But there's no jackpot that will repay those wasted hours. The best you're gonna get is the fleeting satisfaction of a few likes, a funny joke or a kind reply. So instead of endlessly scrolling, log off and do something more constructive, something that will build up your confidence or at least not undermine it. And that blew my mind when I read that because yeah. I've always wondered why I have such a love-hate relationship with social, with social media. Um, social media is an amazing resource. I have met experts in fields of all different suspects of all different subjects, 
I get to talk to them one-on-one. -on -one. I get to learn things. I get to learn new experiences. I learn new information. People support me. I have a little community. Those are all wonder, wonderful things. But sometimes social media is just a hellscape. And I'm like, after reading that, I'm realizing social media is always the same how we feel about it when we're on it is a reflection of our mood. So yeah. I really like his um, advice of like, if you're in a good mood, you know, hang out and look at your fun stuff. But if you go in with a bad mood, stuff that normally wouldn't bother you is going to sound really negative. negative. Mm -hmm. So like this person seeing your tweet, I would say it's not, you being negative in your post it's how he interpreted your post based on his mood so if he's yep. crank, if he's cranky or if he's in a negative mood whatever and he sees your tweet he interprets that through a lens of negativity and so it's not it's not your words that were the problem it's their reaction to them it also helps explain i know people don't understand this and they struggle with it on social media. But every once in a while on social media, somebody will snap out of nowhere on a person that thinks they did nothing. You know, like somebody will just, somebody will tweet a joke, I'm using air quotes, and the person they sent it to, or a reply, the person they sent it to loses their mind. Like they just get pissed off and like they get, well, we're gonna say triggered, hey, using that word outside of, PTSD, but it's true. You get kind of triggered and you get hostile and all of that. And the person who wrote it will always say, oh, it was just a joke. I didn't do anything wrong. I didn't do anything to get that reaction. But what they don't realize is they weren't the first person to do that to you today. Yeah. So men correct me. In, and men correct me and explain my experiences to me in every aspect of my life. Men comment on my appearance and they say, and how that is increases or decreases my value as a person. I shouldn't have tattoos because that makes me something that make oh, was it whores? Only whores and sailors have tattoos. I've heard that. I don't know how many times. So you're saying I'm a whore because I have tattoos. Um, if you get colored hair, like your gorgeous hair right now, people think you're anything from an angry feminist to an airhead. Um, to a meth addict. To a meth addict. Uh, I mean, the way I, the way I talk gets policed. We talked about that at the beginning. If I use my natural voice, people will say I sound unsure. Um, my thoughts, my words, how I say things. Anytime I say something, I will have somebody tell me I needed to say that a different way, or I needed to say that more politely, or I needed to say that more positively, because then I'll get um, a positive reaction, and then I'll make progress. And no, I don't need to change the way I talk. Maybe other people can use a little bit of that policing their own. Like for 40 years, 
I've been policed in every aspect of my life from my what is a good career choice to my voice to my appearance to how I think and it's really hard for me to feel empathy when all I'm asking is for I'm gonna say men and yes not all men but if for men to just stop giving women unsolicited advice if I want advice I'll ask for it if I'm just expressing an experience or a feeling I don't need you to tell me how I feel or how I should have done it better or how I need to handle it. I mean, 40 years of being policing and I'm not a serial killer. I'm not out killing all men because they've been mean to me for my whole life. I'm fine. I like men. There's lots of great men. But unfortunately, there's a big enough percent of bad men that find their way to women every day, that's, it gets a little overwhelming and frustrating. And so occasionally when somebody like this tweet of yours, especially that you need to be positive on Twitter, the reason it's so frustrating and the reason it, it just pisses you off beyond belief is because I guarantee you that wasn't the first person who's to say something like that to you this week. Oh yeah. yeah. It might have been the first time they said that to a woman in a month. But on your side, you're constantly hearing it. So that person that um you know, congratulations, you were the hundredth mansplainer of the week and this is your <laughs> prize. Like I'm sorry. And don't As like, Oh, go ahead. Defending yourself, you're being a heart and explaining your reasoning you're just being yes. a bitch and it's just yeah. and, and it goes back to confident aggressive women are still seen as bad bad yeah just all around bad needs to be we need to be reined in they need to be reined in by their husband and of course if their husband doesn't rein them in they must be a cuck and here is like and then society and, has to take that place and rein them in. And I was surprised. Well, and if anyone knows my husband, like, he's yeah. not that way. He is like, <laughs> I really hate these terms. I'm going to use it for my husband. He's a true alpha male. And you know what? For men that are true alpha males, like real confident alpha males, they don't, those kind of things don't bother them. And they can really handle really strong women. And I did a few things over my life that thought they were alpha males and then they, folded pretty quickly at a strong woman like they they couldn't handle it like they would try to bring me down and so when my husband yesterday is like we talked about it, I tell everything I'm like and and here's the thing is like because my other podcast I do do with a man I warned Jeff right away I said there's going to be rumors and he said I know and then I and then we're doing a farm tour next month and I said there's going to be a lot more rumors now because for some reason a man and a woman can't necessarily be friends in this world and so these all these things that like my husband must be so now blah, blah, blah. I'm like no my husband is very comfortable he knows what it is and these dudes that like are saying those things like who I think they're alpha males they're not they're not because they would be comfortable and I think a lot of his projection they must have a lot of hard time themselves being faithful and having a good relationship so they decide to say that well she must not be doing it so. Now I'm like starting to air per grievances. 
it's it's was that holiday on Thanksgiving where you got your grievances? Oh, and Festivus. Really, <laughs> Festivus. I'm having my Festivus. So it's just, but to go, I'm an expert in what, and I happen to have two careers. And um, be told how I should, for my career, from someone who got a limited view of it as an advisory for the community, it's a little funny, especially when they're not exposed to like huge districts to I one of my best friends is a CBO for a huge thing. I know how it works. And so it's it's kind of funny. And honestly with that one, since I'm getting personal, I think I was set up. Like there's there's people on social media who who think it's funny to drive a conversation and there have been things leading up to it all week like strange tweets i was getting and and uh you know the uh the, all those parody accounts were starting to pop again and so somebody's bored yeah yep it's been a hard year with covid and other stuff and it's just you know what are we on now the uh coin shortage and now it's what's the strange thing going on <laughs> <laughs> oh the seeds now oh, it's the yeah, seeds. mystery seeds yes uh, so yeah i like i agree with everything you said it's just so true um and i just want to add one more thing for the love of god do not tell me if i don't like men giving me advice or get being told how to tweet to get off social media sod off with that advice I've been taught to submit to other people for 40 years. Mm-hmm. Even I've been told how to look, how to think, how to express myself. And if I don't follow those rules from other people, I get punished. And like right now, even my right to make decisions about my own body are tenuous. Like if I wanted to get my tubes tied because I have an evil reproductive system, I'm going to get told by doctors that I need to think about it more. That what if, what if a, a man in my life wants children? I need to think about that. I need to think, why am I spending my, the best years of my life suffering through an evil reproductive system that ruins, two, <laughs> ruins me every two weeks? <laughs> right. But that is the reality. Like, no, I can't just walk into my doctor and go, listen, I can't live like this. I mean, two weeks, every, every other week, something's happening that uh, reduces my quality of life. I can't do that because I will get met with a bunch of resistance. So I'm used to being policed. I mean, I, and I've survived it. So if I've survived all of this, including the punishment for being myself and i haven't gone completely crazy and slaughtered people on site because i'm tired of their bullshit i'm pretty sure you can learn not to tell women about their own experiences i think it's doable and i don't see i can't think of an excuse not to learn to do that other than being blatantly ignorant ding 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 (laughs) (laughs) 
been a gaslighting month, so I'm <laughs> I'm primed, and I've, I'm at 90% capacity for tolerance of gaslighting, and it just keeps popping up. Yeah. <sighs> Any more for you to say on it? No, about that. So we are going to try something new today. Usually we end, we're ending off our podcast with um, a TikTok or an audio or something that was just kind of left people on a good note. And I was on TikTok and I found this um, healing exercise and it's about a minute long and I tried it and I found it really worked for me. So I think this week we're going to try guiding you through that same um, experience to end the show. And then we'll just, you know, you'll just get a moment of mindfulness and the show will end. So okay. are, we, are we up for this? Yep. Now, you don't have to do it right now if you're listening, because you're going to want to be in a place that's quiet and that you're not going to be disturbed, and that you just feel totally comfortable in. So, I mean, if you're at work, or maybe you're in your car, driving and listening to this, um, pop, you can pause it, and do it later when you're at home, relaxed, or something. So the first thing we need to do is just, everybody take a deep breath. Inhale for three. Exhale for three. And then just focus on my voice and just follow my instructions. So first, I want, to t want you to take one of your hands and I want you to put it over your heart. Now feel your heart beating that little bit and just kind of focus on it. Take your other arm. I want you to wrap it around yourself like you're giving yourself a hug. Hold yourself like this. Now close your eyes. Now I want you to picture yourself at a moment in your childhood when you experienced trauma. Remember the situation, where it was, what age you were, what you looked like, how you felt, and focus on that memory. Now picture your current self, so the person you are today who's made it through all of that. Picture your current self wrapping your arms around your child self just like you're doing right now and hold your child self now tell your child self you're safe now say it to your child in your head in your head you're safe now picture comforting your child self in that traumatic moment Picture yourself hugging them, supporting them, and radiating love. Feel it coming from your current self and receiving it as your child self. Now just sit here and just imagine supporting your child self through that traumatic period. Tell yourself you're safe. Tell your child self you're supported. Tell your child self it's okay. And it was okay to hurt 
and release. See you. 